Well, I said this in the last service, and it's certainly true. Just singing that last song is such a, it's such a benediction to our own souls, just to remember that with all our heart, we know that Christ, when he died, he paid our ransom in full. I want to say what a privilege it is to be able to come and to open God's word with you. My name is Nick Spurgeon. Um, I'm a pastor at Parkside Church in Chagrin Falls, Ohio. And um, Pastor Mike wanted me to remind you that um, it is your James 5 service today. So if you would like your elders to pray for you, um, that is readily available for you, I believe, through the back door. So just to keep that fresh on your mind that during the service, if you, would, if you desire that, if you would like that, feel free to make your way. I won't take any offense to you walking out during the sermon. <laughs> um, this morning, I want us to turn, and if you would, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to be working through verses 11 to 13, but what I want to do is just read from verse 6, um, just to kind of give us a little bit of context, and then we'll make our way uh, through the passage. I'll read this for us, and then say a short prayer, and then we will get into the passage this morning. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6, Paul writes this, But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for all, for all the joy we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. And here's our passage this morning. And now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Our Father, we pray this morning that the truth of your word would be stored down into our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would come uh, by the power of your spirit and that you would change our hearts. We ask that we would be made more and more like your son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, I wonder if you pray for the church. For the church as the, the universal body of believers who have been united to Jesus Christ and for your local church. Because in the plan of God, the church is extremely important. Paul, in another one of his writings, tells us that it is the church that is the, how God is making known his wisdom to the, in the heavenly places. He says to Timothy that the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. And in the scope of the scriptures, it is the church that is the people of God, made up of those people who by faith have been united to Jesus Christ. So the church is tremendously important. So I wonder if you pray for the church. 
And if so, how do you pray for the church, both for the the church universal and for the church local? And this is the question that I want to answer this morning as we look at one of three prayers that Paul prays for the Thessalonians. The church in Thessalonica, just for a little bit of background, was not an old or well-established church. It was actually a relatively young church. Paul had come to Thessalonica after having done some ministry in Philippi. And as he preached, he and Silas preached, as they came to Thessalonica, they did what they always do. They would go into the city and they would give them the gospel. And what God did among these Thessalonian Christians, these Thessalonian people, was really nothing short of a miracle. A miracle that is actually described in chapter 1. If you want to look in chapter 1, the word is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And by an act of grace, great grace, these Thessalonians come to Christ. You see in 1 to 9 what takes place. 1, 9, excuse me, 9 to 10. They turn to God from idols to worship and serve the living and true God and to wait for his son. What takes in their heart, what takes place in their heart is that they are converted. But life after their conversion was not easy. You keep reading in in 1 Thessalonians. In chapter 2, Paul tells us that upon their reception of the word, upon this conversion that took place in their hearts, they immediately begin to share in and participate in suffering. So their life as these new, these young, these, we could say, fresh Christians, it was not easy. And not only was it not easy um, in this sense, but these men who had led them to faith, in other words, we could say their pastors, were torn away from them immediately due to persecution. And so, was not, so not only was this not easy on the church, it was not easy on their pastors as well because not having much time to invest in them, having only been in Thessalonica for a short period of time, Paul's torn away from them, so he can't invest in them. He can't teach them. He can't pour into them. He can't tell them and instruct them in all the things that would come along with the Christian life. He becomes concerned that they might be deterred by these afflictions that um, have come upon them. That somehow the, the seeds that had been planted, has, somehow the gospel that had been planted might be plucked out by the evil one. And so in desperation, Paul sends Timothy to check on these Thessalonians. And the news that Timothy brings is of immense encouragement to Paul, which is why we picked up reading in chapter 3, verse 6. You see in 6 to 8, Timothy returns to Paul. He tells them that these Thessalonians, these young, these fresh, these new Christians have stood fast under trial. They've remained faithful. And so when Paul, after hearing this news from Timothy, when he prays for this church, he prays that they would continue to endure, to continue to be faithful that they would endure until Christ returns. And so as we look at this prayer this morning, I want us to learn how we can pray for one another and for this church, our church, this church, that we would continue to be faithful, 
to persevere, to endure until Christ returns. One question, in other words, that we want to ask is, what can, what can we, what can you as a church ask God for that you would be kept blameless until Christ returns? Now, if we're going to do that, I want to look at the three things that the apostle prays for here in this passage before us. And I want you to begin to make this your own. This is a prayer that I have tried to make my own for our church at Parkside. And so the first thing that I want us to look at and to learn to pray is this, is that we would pray that God would use us, you, the people of the church, to build one another up in the faith. Verse 11. Now, I've already established a little bit of context for you, but let me just turn your attention to a few more details. You jump back up to chapter 2, verse 17. Paul and Silas, they've been torn away from these Thessalonian Christians. If you want to read what actually took place, what caused this, you can go to Acts 17 and read the first couple of, of verses there. But after conflict and persecution in Thessalonica, Paul and Silas are sent off to Berea in fleeing from persecution. After a stint in Berea, they go to Athens, and after Athens, they find themselves in Corinth. Now, these people, these Thessalonians, throughout all of this, have stayed near and dear to the apostles' heart. They are his children in the faith. He and Silas have ministered to them as parents to their children. They were gentle among them like a mom to her children. They instructed them like a father with his children. Paul talks about that in in chapter 2. But now, Paul, out of love for these Christians, desires that he would return to them in order that in chapter 3, verse 10, he may supply what is lacking in their faith. Now let's think about that for a moment. As far as distance between them, there's a huge distance between them. It's miles and miles that are between them. And as far as obstacles for him to get back to them and obstacles that have torn them away from him, there's many of them. Wherever he goes at the moment, difficulty, it seems, always follows the apostle. But because this church had become so near and dear to his heart, he prays that he might be used of God to build them up. Now there's something that I want you to notice about this prayer. I want you to notice what, notice what Paul does not pray. He doesn't pray for someone else to come and do this. He doesn't say, Lord, bring someone else to them that they might be built up in the faith, which I have been guilty of in ministry. I openly confess that. Now you see what he asks of the Lord. He asks that he might be the very one, that he might be the means that God would use to strengthen this church, to strengthen the people in this church, not someone else but himself. Literally, what he prays here, the wording here, is that he prays that God would clear out anything that hinders him, any obstacles, any impediments, that any of the the persecution would be cleared away, that the schemes of the evil one would be thwarted, that he might get back to this church. 
And you see, friends, if we want to pray for the church, and specifically for the endurance of the church, one of the greatest things that we can pray for is that God would use each one of us for that very purpose. You see, prayer for Paul did not mean for him to stay inactive. It was part of the foundation upon which he did ministry. Knowing that only God could make this possible, miles and miles of distance, tons and tons of obstacles, knowing that only God could do this, could get him back to this church. He prays, he appeals to God that God might use him. And I hope you realize that if the church is going to continue to grow in endurance and in faithfulness, it not only takes the pastor preaching and teaching, that, is, that importance is tremendous, but friends, it also takes you as a congregation taking what you have learned, taking the truths from the morning sermon, taking what you know about God, about Christ, about the gospel, and pouring it into each other's lives. You see, you think about it this way. You as individuals in the church have much more capacity to know different people at more intimate levels than a couple of your pastors can. And you have the ability to take what you know and specifically pour it into that person's situation. And you, at that moment, become the very person that God uses to build that person up. So friends, let me ask you this. Do you pray this way? Do you pray along these lines for this church? that you would be the one that God would use to build somebody up in endurance and in faithfulness. Maybe you begin to pray that this morning. Maybe you pray something along, along the lines of this, Oh Lord, you pray just like Paul, Oh Lord, our God and Father and Jesus Christ, His Son, please remove any of the obstacles that hinder me from doing this and put in my heart a desire to build somebody up. Give me the words to say and the grace to do it. Because if we're to pray for the endurance of the church, we must pray that God would use each one of us to build up one another. Verse 11. Secondly, verse 12. If we're to pray for the endurance of the church, second thing, we must pray that God would grow us in our love for others. Now, when I thought about this, and, and I thought about praying for the church, and I'm sure you're the same or similar to me in some sense, but when I think about praying for the endurance or perseverance of the church, however you want to put it, chances are we don't necessarily pray for love, right? We pray for things like strength, we pray that God would sovereignly uphold his church. We pray that um, the church would stay grounded in truth. Or perhaps you pray for your local church and, and you pray for the ministers in your church, the pastors. You pray that they would be guarded in the truth of the gospel. You pray that they would be grounded in the truth of the Bible, that they would minister with integrity, that they would be kept from sin and temptation. 
And these things are, are really all good things to pray. In fact, as a pastor, I would ask on behalf of your pastors to keep praying that for them. But you notice when Paul prays for the Thessalonians' endurance, you know what he prays for? He prays that God would grow them in love. Verse 12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. And the wording here is actually not just that they would be filled up to the brim, but that God would pour so much love in them that it would just overflow. And it would continue to overflow. Now what's interesting about this prayer here, at least to me it's interesting, is that if you're familiar with the Thessalonian church and what Paul says about the church in this letter, you'll notice that what he prays for here is is not something that the church was missing. This was, by his testimony, a loving church. You look in chapter 1, for example, when he talks about we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love. So these people are actually laboring amongst one another out of love for each other. He also says in chapter 4, verse 9, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. So this church is not just loving each other in the midst of the congregation, but they're actually loving other people throughout the whole of Macedonia. When it comes to the area of love, we could say this church actually has it all together. They're doing really well. But would it not be true to say that when it comes to loving one another, and and not just one another, but you notice the words of Paul, others as well, other people outside the church, when it comes to that, we always have room to grow. You think about our love for other people, especially love within the church. It can kind of wax and wane. It's up and down. It can be stifled by things like selfishness. It, 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 its fire can be smothered out by the fact that normally and naturally we're so, so turned in on ourselves rather than looking outward to other people. And you see, sharing and showing this kind of love, a love like the Apostle Paul is speaking of here, is actually really hard because, again, it's, it's not natural. This type of, of love gives rather than takes. It, it sacrifices rather than withholds. And so, no matter how much as a church you think that you have this together, you never grow past the fact of continuing to grow in it more and more. But since God is at work in our hearts, we pray that he would not cease to grow us in, the, in our love, in its breadth, in its length, in its height, in its depth. Now as a church, what might this look like for you? What might this look like? Well, look at the two, look at the couple words, excuse me, that Paul uses at the end of verse 12. He says, and may the Lord make you increase 
and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. These Thessalonian Christians have seen this type of love that he prays for them modeled in front of them by Paul and Silas themselves. You simply go back to chapter 2 where where Paul defends his ministry, the integrity of his ministry. And I think in verse 8, he summarizes what this looks like very, very well for us. In fact, you can take this little summary and just seek to begin to apply this in this church. He says in verse 8, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very selves. When they came to these Thessalonian Christians, they came not, not out of a sense of, of, of what they could get from them. Right? They, did it, he, they didn't treat these people as kind of like an ATM. Right? Let me see how much I can get from you. No, what does he say? He said, we gave ourselves for you. And they did this by both sharing the gospel with their lips, but also giving of their very lives. They modeled before this church a love that gave and gave self-sacrificially. And if you think about this, in fact, when you think about this, is this not the type of love that lies at the heart of the gospel that we believe and confess? That Jesus, out of the great love with which he loved us, came and gave himself for us. That we might be brought into this family of people who are loved by God. And consider this as well. If this is the type of love that marked Jesus, then this is the type of love that ought to mark his church. People in our culture are begging for love. Yet to borrow the phrase, they're looking in all the wrong places. But if as a church you begin to ask God, Father, increase our love for one another and for all people, here's what happens. You become a community of people whose bond together is strengthened. And then you become an effective witness to the outside world. You see, when the love of God overflows into the life of the church, Paul talks about in the rest of his letter that it functions as both a barrier and a beacon. As a barrier, it guards our hearts from division within the church and all that causes division. You think about this, you cannot gossip and love somebody at the same time. You cannot be selfish and love at the same time. So it serves as a barrier, a protection within the church, but also as a beacon as it just appeals to the watching world. Right? When, the, when, the pe- when people look on and say, how come those people at that church aren't at each other's throats like the rest of us? What do they have that we don't have? And so I ask you, do you pray this way? Maybe we begin to pray this morning, oh Lord, pour into our hearts a knowledge of the love with which you have loved us first and foremost, that we might love 
one another. Because if we're to pray for the continued endurance of the church, we must pray that God would grow us in our love for one another and for others. That's verse 12. Now, thirdly and finally, verse 13. If we're to pray for the continued endurance of the church, third point, we pray that God would establish us in holiness as we wait for Christ's return. Now look down in verse 13 with me. You notice it begins a little different than the other two. Verse 11. Verse 11 begins, May our God and Father direct our way to you. Verse 12 begins, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love. These are the two prayers that Paul prays would happen. Verse 13 is actually not so much a petition or a prayer as it is the purpose for which he prays 11 to 12. Paul says, I pray that you, that I might return to you in order to build you up in the faith, and I pray that you would increase and abound in love for one another so that God might establish your hearts blameless in holiness as you wait for the return of Christ. What he's saying here is that building up one another in the faith and asking God to grow you in love is the means God uses to establish your hearts in holiness. I don't know if you realize this, but God uses other believers, other Christians, as the means by which he keeps you going in the faith. That's one thing that Paul's saying here. He's saying God is a God of means. You look over in chapter 5. He promises to sanctify his people completely. And yet in the meantime, he uses each one of you in each other's lives to do it. You see, you contribute to someone else's perseverance and they contribute to yours. And this is crucial because, and, 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 and I'm guilty of this as well, we can really make our walk with Jesus very individualistic. A kind of me and Jesus and no one else um, type of thing. The only problem with that is that is not a full-orbed biblical spirituality. We should cultivate our walk with Jesus privately, absolutely. We should be engaged in in private prayer and private Bible readings and devotions and things of that nature, but it should never be to the neglect of doing these things corporately as well. I remember about a year ago, I read an article um, about a home that was built uh, on Mexico Beach, Florida. It was the, the dream home of the couple that built it. And they built it with the intention of it withstanding any type of weather that came its way. If you know, Mexico Beach, Florida is really known for its hurricanes. And this house was built so that 40-foot pilings were driven into the ground that it might withstand the storm surges. The walls were um, built with reinforced concrete, uh, reinforced with steel cables and rebar in order that it could withstand these hurricane-force winds. And after this house was built, in fact, not too far after this house was built, Hurricane Michael touched down in Florida. And if you know, Hurricane Michael was the first Category 5 hurricane to hit the United States since 1992. 
And after all was said and done, after I had read the article, I, I looked back up at the picture. That was kind of the tagline or the headline of the article. And where on this beach once stood all these beautiful vacation homes, there was just utter destruction except for this one house. This house had withstood the storm. It had withstood this Category 5 hurricane. And as I thought about this passage this morning, the image of that house came to mind. Because as the church builds into one another, as we pour into other people, as we're strengthened by that, as we grow in our love and as our love is, is built and implanted into our hearts, we will remain steadfast, solid, built up through whatever comes our way all the way until Christ returns. And the wonderful thing is that God, in his wisdom and design, has decided that he would use us, each one of you, in order to accomplish that very purpose in each other's lives. I know at Parkside that this can be hard because we're a big church and it can be hard to meet people and really grow in this way. But we've tried to set forth avenues for people to pursue this, and I'm sure that that is here as well. So the question is, do we want to actually do this? That's the question. And I would beg you to do it. Because this is how God establishes us as his people in holiness. This is the means that he has ordained to use. We can set up all these different things. But unless we do things God's way, it doesn't work. You know, if you keep reading in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4 and chapter 5, Paul actually kind of shows what this looks like. There are some people within the church in Thessalonica that are grieving over loved ones who have died in the Lord. They're worried about what's going to take place with them. And Paul says, look at the resurrection. And I want you to take the doctrine of the resurrection. I want you to apply it to the lives of those people. You see what they're doing? They're just taking the teaching that the apostle has taught them and then they're pouring it out into each other's lives and the individual situations that are going on in the church. In fact, he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Those one another's are there because they're utterly vital for the life of the church. And the reason that all of this is so important in fact, it's the very impetus for which Paul writes this, this prayer. The very end of our, our passage, the impetus for this is this one certain fact that Christ will return. That he will take his church to himself. That we will all appear before him. And so what do we do in the meantime? We ask God for these things. We are a people who are waiting. That's the mark of a church that Paul talks about in chapter 1 of this letter. We wait with hope. And while we wait, we pray this prayer and put these things to practice. So I ask this question. Do you pray this way? 
maybe we begin to pray today. Father, use us in the church to build one another up in the faith. Increase and grow us in love for one another. And that by doing so, you would keep us fixed in holiness until Christ returns. Now let me just say this too. If you're not a Christian and you're saying in your heart, I want to be a part of a people like that, I want to be a part of a people who pray like this, who love like this. Well, the only thing you have to do is look to Christ and cling to him by faith. And not only will you find your sins forgiven, but you will find yourself welcome into a family like this. So how do we pray for the church? Well, maybe this will help you as we go from here to pray for this church, for the church universal and the church local for its endurance. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word to instruct us on how we as a church can live in a way that is pleasing to you, that takes advantage of all these avenues of grace that you have given us. We pray, Lord, that you would keep us. Lord, I pray for this church here as I pray for my own, that you would use each one in here to pour into one another's lives, that you would grow them in holiness, that you would keep them and grow them in their love for one another and for all people as they wait for the return of their Lord. Lord, we look forward to that day when you come and you set all things right and you bring heaven to earth with you so that we might live and reign with you for the rest of eternity. Lord, we pray for the offerings that, are, that will be picked up here in a few minutes. We ask that they would be used for the purpose of building up your church in the way that the people um, and the leadership here sees fit. So we commit this to you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.